Hey everyone, this is Matt General with 420 Ministries. I'm super excited for you to get to have the chance to listen to this week's teaching as we are in the final weeks of our series on what it means to minister to the Lord. This has been a 12-week series as we have just been unpacking the call on every believer's life to learn and discover and practice what it means to be a priest unto the Lord's presence, to truly become students of the presence of God, of where we learn to behold Him, and by beholding Him, we become like Him, and then by becoming like Him, we can actually partner with Him to see the world impacted and transformed around us. I hope that you are blessed as you listen to this message, and that the Holy Spirit would just breathe upon you with fresh wisdom, revelation, and inspiration straight from His heart for you. We're praying for you guys this week. If there's anything that we can be praying for you for, please feel free to reach out to us on all of our social media platforms. We would love to hear from you. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. God bless. Amen. Hallelujah for that, for that time of worship. Yeah? Yeah, amen, for real. Man. So we have been, for the past 12 weeks, um, we've been in a 12-week series of discovering, of, of learning, of, of going through what it means uh, to minister to the Lord and, and what, what specifically it means to, when we say minister to the Lord, that's a, if you've been coming to, to 420 for any amount of time, which by the way, if this is your, your first time here with us at 420 tonight, we just wanna welcome you and honor uh, and, and honor the fact that you've chosen to be here with us tonight. We just, we truly believe that if, if this is your first time ever being here, we, we refuse to believe that it's just because like, oh, like a friend invited you and, and you just, you, you, you came because you happened to be on the receiving end of a text message or a phone call inviting you to be here tonight, but that the presence of the living God drew you here tonight to touch you and encounter you in a way that is significant, special, and unique for you. Amen? Amen. And so, um, we have about three weeks left in this um, Ministering to the Lord series. And in the past couple of weeks, um, we have been going through what um, we, we in our core leadership team, is, is, it's essentially the worship structure that we have. Every single Wednesday morning, we're here to do what we would call a prayer set which is pretty much exactly what we just got done doing, a time of intentional prayer and worship of where we come into this room, we press into the presence of God together, and we literally, we, we practice his presence. Like, how many of you believe that Jesus, he's, he's a real person in the room, right? Like, he's, he's not just an imagination, he's not, he's not a force, he's, he's not an energy, um, he, he is a real person in the room that we have the capacity to move that person's feelings, to move that person's emotions. And so, um, and, and we have learned in this time of experimenting in the presence of God together, we would call it TPWI, which is just an acronym that stands for Thanksgiving, Praise, Worship, and Intercession. And so tonight we're actually gonna be talking about worship. Um, but as we, before we go into this time, um, it was really on my heart tonight, and, um, and if no one has anything that they would, would like to share, that's totally fine. I, I feel like, I think I was told recently that people's number one fear is public speaking, and like, and close behind that is, is public praying. And so I can totally understand if you don't want to, but as I was getting ready for this message tonight, and by the way, this is a, uh, this is a super low stakes environment, by the way. Like, this is, this is, this is family in this room. 
This is a place of where we, we believe that we fail our way into victory through, through process, through learning through one another, yielding to one another, learning from each other. So um, if, there's, if there's any performance that you feel like you have in this room to have something together right or sounding well, then you're not in the right place because we just don't believe in that here. <laughs> um, but as I was getting ready for this message tonight, even as we're talking about worship, um, Jesus was, I, I, I could not get away from it, but just the power of the, of, of the testimony and what testimony does to a heart that comes into worship. And when I talk about testimony, I literally mean what the book of Revelation says, that when a testimony is offered, it is, the, it is offering the invitation into the very spirit of Jesus that says, God, that thing, would you do it again? Does that make sense when I say that? So testimonies are, honestly, my dream message is that for like an hour, I would just get to get up and share testimony after testimony after testimony because I could, I could stand up here and, and teach to you tonight, but if I shared a series of testimonies, I guarantee you would remember that testimony. You would probably forget what I said, hopefully not right when you left here, but by the end of the night, you're probably gonna have to forget what I've said, but what the spirit of the living God will do through a testimony that is shared, that will stick with you and mark you for forever. And so um, I have a couple that I wanted to share. Some, some of these are um, ones that I've heard recently. And then one of the things I love to do is I love to read through old revival history of just like learning about revivals that have happened like years, like centuries ago, centuries upon centuries ago. I love to read about the men and women that gave their lives to see moves of God come into their villages, into their regions, and into their cities, what they sacrificed, what they gave up, what they yielded, the, the way that they said yes to things when no one else was looking, the way that they were willing to look foolish and when, when everyone else was really wanting to be dignified and put together. Um, but I just wanna, I, I really just wanna ask because I think that oftentimes we forget, um, and Pete has been um, if you, if you uh, Pete, raise your hand real quick. Yeah, if you wanna, like Pete is, is starting this incredible, um, can I call it a ministry? Jesus does, can I, can I call it a ministry? Pete's doing this incredible thing called Jesus Does that captures testimonies. And so, and I just, I truly just believe that there's something powerful when we share a testimony, we honor it, and then we celebrate that. But um, before I go into the ones that I have, I just wanna give, give anyone an opportunity. Is there anyone in here that it's just like, hey, this is how I've seen the Lord move, whether it's this week, whether it's like, like you, you, you saw a prayer answered, there was something that you were believing for and you feel like you saw breakthrough this week. And, and I'm, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be like this, this massive, huge thing. It's like oftentimes I think that we forget and we miss these little moments where, the Jesus, invi where Jesus invites us into his sweetness in the middle of the day and in the middle of the week. But is there anything that anyone just wants to say, like, like hey, I, I, I wanna acknowledge this. Like, this is, like, I've seen breakthrough in this in my life this week, if, if, if there is anything. <clears throat> Not all at once. <clears throat> If you, don't, if you don't go, I have some, but I just, I wanted to, I wanted to give the opportunity for anyone to share that, that wanted to share. <clears throat> well, if you change your mind, even as I'm talking, raise your hand and interrupt me and, and we can go into it. But is it okay if I share a couple with you guys? Is that all right? Cool. <laughs> Thank you, Colin. <laughs> um, 
So one of, a, a testimony that I had the chance of being able to, to share this week, I was, I was in a staff meeting um, at, 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 at a church that I um, help serve at for, um, that, that I'm helping serve at right now um, whenever I'm not here. And we were in a staff meeting and we're talking about prayer. And there was an opportunity, and, and this is an environment of where I won't normally share testimonies like this simply just because sometimes when you come into an environment where it's almost just like, it's almost like trying to, to throw, um, it's, it would almost be like fertilizing your lawn in the middle of the wintertime. And it just, it, it, it's not gonna take, it, it doesn't make sense. It's like the soil's not ready for it. But I sensed grace from the Lord to share this particular testimony. Um, if you are looking to renew your mind and learning to have your thought life change, focus on the acts of, I guarantee that even though no one raised their hand and no one came up and no one came forward, if, if, if you were forced to, every single one of you could come up here, I guarantee it, and could point out, hey, this is how I saw the Lord move this week. And, and, and trust me, and even if you stop to think about it, I guarantee you would become aware of it because Jesus is living and he is active and he is constantly moving in our lives. It was funny, there was one time a while ago I was spending time with the Lord and, and this is one of the times when I was learning that the Lord has a sense of humor and I felt like I heard the Lord say, I don't know why people say that they're coming to have quiet time with me because last time I checked, the lion of the tribe of Judah doesn't have a quiet roar. <laughs> and so, and it, and it was just a, a, a moment to me of where I just learned about the voice of the Father and how much he has a desire to speak and reveal to us the ways that he works in our weeks. But this testimony is one that I've been meditating on for the past couple of days. And um, the last time I actually got to teach was right before I left for Pakistan. And then um, we've been going through this series. And so this is my first time teaching since I've been back. And when you come back from a trip like that, it's almost like you, you, you come back, you get your feet back on the ground, you're, tr you're trying to digest everything that you saw, everything that happened. You don't wanna miss anything, you wanna capture everything. And then it's like, and then literally, sometimes it's not until three weeks later that you're like, oh yeah, like I completely forgot that happened. And then it's, and then like just things begin to come to you. Um, there was this testimony that was shared with me by, uh, by Tony, the guy that, that, was, that was with me, we went together. And he said, there, uh, one of his friends, his name is David Wagner, and David um, had this prophetic word over his life. And David started reading scripture and took the Bible very literally. So when David read, I'm going to lay my hands on the sick, see them recover. I'm going to cast out demons. I'm going to cleanse lepers. I'm going to raise the dead. Freely I've received, freely I'm going to give. He took that not as a suggestion, but as a commandment of reality. And so David um, he actually took this verse so far as to go and start volunteering at a morgue in his city of where he would pray for families, do like the whole last rites thing, pray for families as their, as their, their loved ones were passing. And he would go up to the, the table of where the, uh, the, 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 the person that, was, that had died was at and would pray for them to rise from the dead. And he did this for years and he didn't see a single person rise from the dead. It got to the point of where David was uh, he became like a wedding, a, a, not a wedding crasher. That's, uh, that's the movie. Uh, a funeral, he became a funeral crasher and he would show up to funerals pretending that he knew the family 
and would silently come up to the casket and just say, hey, in the name of Jesus, get up, come on, <laughs> let's go, like, get up. That's, this is a true story. Until finally he was caught and like, um, uh, funeral homes around the city like knew who this dude was and would see him coming in and being like, bro, like, come on. Like, we know that you don't, like, we know that you don't have this many dead relatives dying in a month. Like, you gotta be serious. And so finally, he got kicked out from all these different funeral homes because they're like, no, this guy just wants to come in and pray for people. And so he went to the morgue for a while and then he uh, started praying for literally like cadavers, like dead people. He started praying for them to rise from the dead. He I mean, took this word literally. For years, didn't see a single person raised from the dead, years. Uh, there was a time where he was on this overseas trip um, and he was teaching at this really big gospel crusade campaign. Um, I, for, I forget where it was, I can't remember the location, but David's there and he's teaching. And the way that these things work is a lot of times, the people are not local. It's like you all drove here tonight to get here tonight. Like sometimes people are coming 10 hours away. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a hike for them to get to where this meeting is at. So this woman is carrying her son. I think he has leukemia, just this little boy, skin and bones, probably all, all of like 80 pounds. And as she's walking in the African sun, um, he's so dehydrated, he just, he ends up dying. And, but she knew like she was bringing her son to the meeting for him to get prayer for healing. But he dies on the way there. And so she's carrying him, and she later said, I had a decision I could make. I could either just start, turn, I, was, I was midway to the, to the fairgrounds of where I needed to be. I could either turn around and go home or literally just go with my dead son to this meeting. So she decides to still come to the meeting. She still had a couple of hours to walk, and at that point, the heat, what was happening with the boy's body because of the things that were already going on with him, like rigor mortis literally set in and he just became like she's carrying just this board of a human being, which is her, her dead son. And she gets to the meeting and she starts using her dead son to literally push people out of the way to get to the front of the stage. And she comes up and David's in the middle of teaching and she takes her son and literally throws him at David's feet throws him at his feet and says, I want you to tell me what your God is gonna do about this for me. And, and, and this isn't like a room like this where this is like a very like family room style setting. It's just, I mean, there, there's a couple thousand people on this audience and interrupts the whole thing. And David said he just paused in that moment. He looked at the woman and he looked at the boy and he said he heard the, the, the spirit of the living God speak to him and say, son, all those years that you, were, that you were willing to look foolish for me, all those years that you were willing to be embarrassed for me, all those years that you were being willing to be made fun of, look like a fool, be ridiculed, all the years that you took me at my word and you prayed for people and nothing happened, all of that was practice. Command him to get up right now in Jesus' name. And, and, and literally, not, not, not a couple hours not like, not, not the rest of the night. In a couple of seconds, he prays for him and he says, I call this boy's spirit back into his body. This is not his time to go. And he immediately gets up. He asks for a bowl of soup. They give him food from, from where they had in the village. And the whole entire time while David was teaching, he played soccer with all the other boys in the next door neighbor's field. And he, and he, and he continued on in his life. Yeah. Like, but what I love about that testimony was David said that Lord literally told me, hey, all those years that you were willing to look like a fool for me, 
all those years that people were just like, dude, come on, like, what are you doing? Like, like this, is, this is embarrassing. Like, what are you doing to yourself? That little boy now has his life back because a man was willing to look foolish to continuously pray over and over again because he took God at his word. Like, come on, that's awesome. I wanna share, there, there's a couple more of these. One of the things that I love to be able to do, like I said before, is um, reading through um, revival history, testimonies of some people are still alive today and there's some people that they're not even alive anymore. But um, this is one of my favorite ones. Dr. John G. Lake was a missionary to Africa many years before the modern full gospel movement. The deadly bubonic plague broke out in his area. Hundreds had died. He cared for the sick and buried the dead. Finally, the British people sent a ship with supplies and a corps of doctors, reinforcements for the plague that was at hand. The doctors sent for Lake to come aboard and asked him, what have you been using to protect yourself as you've been in the middle of all these things taking place? Sirs, Lake replied, I believe the law of the spirit of life, I believe the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And as long as I walk in the light of the law of that life, no germ will attach itself to me. Don't you think you had better use our preventatives, the doctors urged? Simply put, no, Lake said. But doctor, I think you would like to experiment with me. This is John G. Lake talking. If you will go over to one of those dead people, take the foam that comes out of their lungs after death, then put it under the microscope, you will see masses of living germs. You will find they are alive until a reasonable time after a man is dead. You can go ahead and fill my hand with that foam, fill, fill it all, and I will keep it under the microscope. And instead of these germs remaining alive, they will die instantly. The doctors agreed. They made the experiment, and it was true. When they expressed wonder at what caused it, Lake told them, this is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, chapter 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's one of my favorite ones. Like, you need to imagine this, like, imagine John G. Lake taking the, the cell of whatever was going on, putting it under a microscope and watching it just dissolve. If this doesn't challenge your paradigm and your world, and by the way, I'm very aware of the fact that I know some of these testimonies are a stretch but we're not here to make you comfortable. We're not here to furnish your boxes that we live in and call it home. We're here to continuously blow it up and call you deeper into the waters of holy intimacy with Jesus. And sometimes making ourselves uncomfortable and inviting the comfort of the Holy Spirit in to father us and disciple us is the very things that takes us deeper into the wonders of the Spirit, amen? So I'm very aware that these things are a stretch. Can I do like two more? Is that okay? Cool. Yes, um, oh, let me find, all these ones are good. But So this one kind of goes together. This is one of my favorite ones. On Father's Day, June 18th, 1995, Steve Hill was invited by John Kilpatrick, the pastor of Brownsville Assembly of God, to speak at the Sunday morning service. Kilpatrick had just lost his mother to cancer and was emotionally and physically weary. So he requested his longtime friend, uh, his longtime friend, Steve Hill, to come and speak in his place. Hill issued an altar call, and a 1,000 people responded. 
Kilpatrick says that he felt the sensation of a wind blowing in the church. Various manifestations occurred, such as falling to the ground, weeping, and violent shaking. The morning service was scheduled to finish at noon, but continued till 4 p.m. Likewise, the night service was extended and became a five-hour-long service. The Pensacola revival had begun. Congregation members asked Hill to stay a several more days. This he did and began to cancel appointments, including a trip to Russia that he already had in place. He decided to stay and moved his family to be near the revival. It is estimated that over 100,000 people have been saved and over 1 million people from all over the world have visited Pensacola since 1995. Incredible. I've got another one. In 1992, Dr. Dr. David Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world in Seoul, was preaching in Seattle. When he began to pray for revival in America, Cho was famous in South Korea for being the leader of the Korean revival. As he prayed, the Lord led him to take a map of America and to point his finger on the map. It landed on Pensacola, Florida. At that moment, the Lord told him, I'm going to send revival to the seaside city of Pensacola, and it will spread like fire until all of America has been consumed by it. Around the same time, in the Brownsville Assembly of God, located in Pensacola, just got done reading about it, Pastor John Kilpatrick went to church early and cried out to God in desperation, God, I want to see you move. If you're not going to send revival here, please send me to a place where you are. I don't care if it's a small congregation in the middle of nowhere with just 25 people. Just take me where you are going to move. He started preaching more on the theme of revival, and the church started to pray for a move of God. The revival meetings on Sunday nights were given over to prayer, praise, and worship entirely. One day... Kilpatrick decided to invite an evangelist who was a former missionary to Argentina during the Argentinian revival from 1985 to 1922, 1992, and who worked with Carlos Anacondia, a revivalist who brought more than one million people to the Lord. That man's name was Steve Hill. On Sunday morning, June 18, 1995, Hill started preaching at the Brownsville Assembly of God. His text was on Psalm 77, verses 11 through 12. He prophesied that God was going to do something special. Every person who is dry will be drenched by rain. At the end of his message, he gave an altar call, and only six people came forward. He told the rest of the congregation that when, that when, in, when he was in Argentina, he didn't realize that he was so dry, that he was so dry until God came and soaked him. He asked those who needed more of God to come forward. This time, 1,000 did. Half of the congregation, the majority of people just collapsed on the floor as Steve Hill and John Kilpatrick laid hands on them. It was Father's Day, and the Spirit of God had finally shown up. So I've got a couple more on here that I could, that I could literally continue. Uh, you know, I'm going to do one more. This one's, this one's awesome. This is the last one. Wigg, uh, how many of you are familiar with a man named Smith Wigglesworth? True, true name, by the way. Okay. The, I love this. This is freaking awesome. Smith Wigglesworth boarded a train at Bradford to travel to London. He selected a corner seat. 
Eventually, five more people joined him in the, in the compartment. As was his custom, he took out his testament and began to read and pray silently. He never spoke a word to his fellow travelers. About 30 miles away from London, he, he got up, went to use the restroom. As he was making his way back to the compartment, the man who had been sitting next to him said, I don't know what it was, but when I sat next to you, a terrible fear gripped me. I was afraid I was going to die. What was it? Wigglesworth said, come back into the compartment. All the others there said they had experienced the same feeling as well. Wigglesworth explained to them about conviction and the way of salvation. They all knelt right there on the floor of the, of the train compartment and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. Wigglesworth ministered this way on several occasions. He lived for opportunities such as these, seeing a potential in every person he met. So those are, those are some of my, my some, some favorite testimonies of mine that I, that I love to be able to read through and I love just to be able to use to just renew my mind on as I'm thinking about them. But there's a couple of things I wanna touch on tonight is that um, when we say that we are here to minister to the Lord and live out the gospel every day, what I love to read about these testimonies is that they point to what it is that the Lord has done. And oftentimes, the acts of God reveal the ways of God, meaning the way the acts of God in the past, we yield to them and give honor to them so that we can see them in our present. And I read those really to get our hopes up, to inspire you, to impart hope to you, and also to hopefully stretch you and challenge you a little bit. But more so than that, I believe, and, and, and I, I, I don't claim to be a, a prophet. I don't claim to be, um, I, I believe that every believer can prophesy. I believe that we should prophesy. I 100% believe that. But for a while now, I have sensed on my heart from the Lord, a desire in his heart for a group of men and for a group of women to return to him out of first love and to love him, not simply because of what he will give them or what he will do for them, or not even because of miracle signs and wonders, but simply just because he is enough for them. And there's a group of people that become obsessively enamored with the presence of Jesus of where they cannot get enough of it. And what I think happens when we do that is when we, make, when we make Jesus the source of our lives, it no longer becomes about miracle signs and wonders and pursuing them. Miracle signs and wonders actually are the very things that pursue our lives as a result of us being yielded to the source. Does it make sense when I say that? And all of a sudden, we don't just start talking about revival, begging for a revival, doing teaching series on revival. All that revival is is the reviver in your midst and proper attention given to him as we learn to behold him and see him rightly. I personally think a man that did this from an early, early age, and he probably didn't even know that he was doing it, was the prophet Samuel at the beginning of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 3. And I, I want to use the remainder of our time. I'm just, I'm going to go through this really, really quickly. Um, I only have my, my New Testament with me, so I'm, I'm going to be on my phone as I'm reading through this. But um, I want to read through this with us because I have a couple of things I want to point out when it comes to uh, a revival culture when it comes to worship, and when it comes to ministering to the Lord, because I don't think that we ever mean to do this. 
But I think that there's certain things that become phrases and taglines and buzzwords. And, and like I said, I don't think that we mean to do this, but because they're used so much, it's almost like those things lose their reverence. They, they lose their sweetness. It's like when you, when you constantly say that you love this or you love that. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't say that, but it's almost just like, like, the, like the, the, when, when we truly think about what love is and, and the infatuation of love, and when we attach that to just anything, it's almost like it just becomes a casual statement. And I want our reverence to come back onto a fear of the Lord that desires to see him rightly because when we see him rightly, it's actually the very presence of the Holy Spirit that disciples us into wholeness. And when we are discipled into wholeness by the presence of the Holy Spirit, it no longer becomes about people that have let us down, churches that have let us down, a flawed family system that maybe you came out of, or people that didn't do what you wanted them to do simply because you have found yourself fully satisfied, sufficient, and filled up in the presence of God. And I'm not talking about you just walking around cold-hearted and you've got a chip on your shoulder and you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm great. It's like, no, you're really not. You just have a bad attitude and you're not willing to do a heart journey with the Father to allow him to to heal you. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying with a clear conscience, with a clear and full heart, you know that when I come into the presence of Jesus, he's enough for me. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Everyone in here say minister to the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Now, it's important to point out Samuel was from the tribe of Levi. He himself was actually a Levite. And what you have learned probably through this series, you've heard the name Levites come up a, a handful of times. So Samuel was from the tribe of Levi. The Levites were actually assigned to be the worshipers and ministering priests to the presence of God in that day and age. Samuel is actually considered to, he has the nickname of as, as the first prophet after Moses. Samuel is not the first person to be called a prophet in scripture, but as far as can be understood, he led a order of prophets in Israel. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 20. So it's not that Samuel was the first prophet. That was just a name that was given to him. But at an early age, Samuel was given over to the temple for the Lord's service. I know that this, a lot of this is probably review for many of you, but it's important that we lay that groundwork. Samuel was given over to the Lord at a very early age to strictly minister to the Lord and serve in the temple. Verse 2, it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see very well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Pause right there in verse 3. Where was Samuel? He was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of, where the ark of God was. So really he was lying down, Old Testament principle, where the presence of God was. He had literally made his bed in the presence of God and had established himself literally in the secret place. 
And that is where he was choosing to find rest, not just in the natural as he was sleeping, but literally in the spirit. This is, this is symbolic of the fact that he had positioned himself in the secret place, in the presence of God. One of the reasons that we minister to the Lord is because we minister to the Lord to learn how to find rest in his presence and to be fully satisfied by him. Samuel was doing this, and, 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 and as it later goes on in the, uh, in the chapter, it actually says that he didn't even fully know the Lord at that time. It's not like he had profound revelation of what he was doing. He was responding to what was literally being drawn out of him to do. When we minister to the Lord, we come back to our created purpose and value of learning to live in constant intimacy with the Lord. Verse number four. Uh, let's, let's, let, let me read through three again. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for, 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 here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and laid back down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So if you think about this, Samuel is literally ministering to someone that he doesn't yet even know on an intimate and personal basis. So the next time you think that you're coming into a room and you have nothing to offer and you have, well, what could he possibly want from me? I don't even know him. I don't even know what he wants from me. Put yourself on the altar and he will receive you every time because at the end of the day, you will find that he's actually truly after you. Sadly, in our spiritual lives today, we are prone to earn. We're, just, we're, we're, we're prone to earn and there's nothing wrong with this. You were given a work ethic for a reason. But when our work ethic trumps his finished work, and we stop living from the presence of God out of rest. And we start living in such a way that we are prone to try to earn his affection, earn his attention, earn his kindness, earn his love. You have actually just re, you have just re-enslaved yourself to an old way of thinking. And all of a sudden, your journey with Jesus becomes about things to not do not listen to, not look at, don't behave this way, don't behave that way, rather than yielding to the ever-present ever presence of God where you learn to find life and life more abundantly and the presence of God through grace empowers you for every good work, not I'm going to do this and I'm going to get it done. That's really noble and that's really beautiful to think that way, but it's just wildly ineffective and wildly exhausting. And if you've ever been in that place, you know how exhausting and how purposeless that that is. Because Samuel understood, even in a day of where he's, he, he doesn't even know what he's doing, it says that he didn't even at that time have the words from the Lord to understand these things. But he camped himself in the presence of God. And even when he didn't understand it, the presence of God began to minister to him and father him and shape him. We minister to the Lord here on Thursday nights, Wednesday mornings, because we believe in setting up a house where the Lord is welcome to come in, reveal himself 
himself to us, and we respond out of love to the affections of Jesus that are poured out, and we learn how to be intimate with him. We learn how, what, what it is that he likes, what it is that he dislikes. We learn how to be friends with him. We learn how to be married to him. And the reason why I'm saying learn is because anything involving relationship takes effort, and it takes practice. Anything. Are you guys still with me? Is all this coming in and landing somewhat? Okay, cool, good, because this is important. Uh, Verse seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you, you called me. Then Eli discerned what the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place yet again. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Verse 11, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now go back to verse 11 really quick. The Lord said to Samuel, in the New Living Translation, it says, then the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a shocking thing in Israel or a new thing in Israel. At this point in time, there's, there's no prophetic. There's, there's nothing really, there's nothing taking place. The, the scripture even says, it, not that the prophetic and that power from, from, from the living God wasn't happening. It just says it was very rare. It was not just this active thing casually taking place every day. And what's interesting is what God is essentially saying to Samuel, and, and, and this is the Matt General Bible translation version saying, hey, I'm about to bring revival. I'm going to do a new thing. It's not going to look anything like what it has in the past. I'm going to do a new thing starting with you. What started with Samuel before the introduction to revival came? Where was he found? In the presence of the Lord, ministering to him. He wasn't pursuing revival. He wasn't talking about revival. You're probably, okay, well then why did you start out talking about revival tonight? (laughs) I think it's important the fact that we will never be able to go where we do not have hope for. We will never be able to go where we do not have hope for. I share those testimonies because if you don't have hope for your future, it's going to be hard for you to get to your future because hope deferred, as Proverbs says, will always make the heart sick. And you cannot advance forward in your life with a sick heart. This is why it is important, and I'm going to get to a point in my life of where I stop apologizing for using this type of language, because if it's offensive, that only just reveals there's religion in me, religion in you, religion in us that has not yet been purged out by the romantic nature of Jesus. So I'll stop apologizing for it, but it's important that we learn how to be held by him, and by held by him, I literally mean embraced by him. 
when you learn to be held by Jesus, he begins to remove out of you everything that you were never created for in the first place. And it no longer becomes, well, I'm working on myself. I'm working on myself. Do you know what you saying, I'm working on myself, all that that is? You working on yourself is self-consciousness. Do you want to know what the enemy of worship is in the kingdom? Self-consciousness. Because why? It's about self. Worship is about response to someone outside of yourself, from within yourself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when I'm self-conscious, self-improving, as noble as that is, beautiful as it is, love it. You come into a place of where you're not even able to worship and we miss him. I miss him because I'm too focused on what I need to fix and what needs to go better and, what, and, and the character things that I want to see change in my life that rather than looking at him and beholding him, and as Hebrews says, I become transformed into his image by beholding him as one beholds himself as, as his face in a mirror, and by becoming like him, I get transformed into his image. Not because my will became stronger to do things a different way. Worship is when you completely come into a place of self-forgetfulness. You leave yourself on the floor, you leave yourself at the door, and you walk through the church building into your seat with him, or you leave yourself at the altar when you leave, whatever it is, you come into a place of self-forgetfulness where he is enough for you, you realize you are enough for him, and then intimacy and transformation can actually begin to take place. And, you, and, and, and it, comes that, it comes in a way that you didn't even have to try to do anything other than simply obey. Fruit, fruit is the Father's responsibility. It is not yours. But oftentimes when we talk about obedience, what we subtly say, and I don't think that we always mean this, but oftentimes because we lack a revelation of the gentleness and kindness of a father that is so ridiculously compassionate, one ounce and one touch of his true unyielded compassion would leave you in a puddle on the floor for hours. That's so offensive to the religious mind, I don't think that we truly know how to yield to it and to accept that. Because it's truly the only thing that will transform you. Your will, your resolve will always dissolve. It will never last. It will never carry you to the feet of Jesus. Regardless of what you think about him, love him, don't like him. I'm not here to debate with you about different preachers and teachers and things that they do or don't do. You don't know their private life. I don't know their private life. So we're not going to talk about them. But I'm going to mention this man. There's a man named Benny Hinn that was walking with this revivalist that was in his hometown at the age of 23. And he was walking him back to his hotel. I forget the guy's name. It's one of these testimonies that I have written down. And Benny turned to the guy um, and he said, tell me what I must do to please the Lord. How do I please the Lord? And the man, after teaching all night, stuck his finger in Benny's chest and says, you realize that you can't. And it's not about you. It's about your surrender. It has nothing to do with you. And he said, and with that, he le- and he's, it's like, and with that, at the end of the night, he left me, turned around, and went into, his, went into his hotel room. The Christian life is partly about your ability to surrender to the spirit of the living God within you. 
and then we leave fruit, results, up to him. When we become results-oriented, we'll get done with a meeting like this and we'll ask ourselves, were people moved by it? Was it an emotional experience? Are people remembering what I said? Are people loving each other well? All those things, by the way, are great. You want those things. They're just accessory things and not the main thing. In my opinion, why we have so many burnt-out pastors and so many pastors that are aggravated, frustrated, annoyed, and hurt is because somewhere along the line, they became results and progress-oriented and not presence-focused. Because as Isaiah says, if we are truly to mount up with wings like eagles, where our strength is renewed, we go from glory to glory, and we step into life more abundantly, it has to come from something that is outside of ourselves and has nothing to do with us, the presence of God. That is the source. And when we minister to him, we're gonna be closing out this series in another two weeks. When we minister to him, it's the most important thing that you will do with your week. Because we normally worship with music for about an hour. So, like if the, if the Lord's moving us in a direction, we'll, we'll, we'll go beyond that. We have that time intentionally set aside because sometimes when you come in here, it's really sometimes unfair in worship services when, when you've got the people that are leading. We've been here for an hour and a half, two hours prepping, praying, going through the set, and then you came in, and who knows how you got here tonight. Maybe you didn't even want to come. Maybe you got in an argument with your friend, your spouse, or someone on the phone as you were coming in here. Maybe you just had a, a crap day at work, and you came here to just try to get your mind off of the things that are going on. Or things are really not going well in your family, and you have self-hatred because, well, I just want to be better. Whatever, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. And oftentimes we come into a worship service and you're just immediately expected to just go from zero to 100 in the course of a five minute song and just like figure it out. And then when we don't see the room responding, we subtly use guilt, shame and condemnation. Come on, I'll offer him a sacrifice. You can do better than that. And we poke and we prod at the room to respond better. when it's really the fact of what if we forgot about ourselves, recognize that the only reason that the songs and lyrics are there to be the very tool and vehicle of edification that we use, and as Clay so beautifully put tonight, we positioned the Lord in the middle of the room, made it about him and not a room, made it about him and not an individual, made it about him and not an actual moment, and we let the pressure fall off of us, and we learned how to be loved by him and learned how to love him in return to where then which we actually encounter the law of life and liberty in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit, simply because we just looked at him. Doesn't that sound a lot easier? Doesn't that sound a lot more life-giving? I'm not saying it doesn't come with practice. I'm not saying it doesn't come with, trust me, I'm, I've been married to my wife now for eight years. I feel like it's been in this past year the most. I'm learning now things that it's just like that she likes or doesn't like or things that she really enjoys, things that she doesn't enjoy. I'm constantly learning things about her. We've been married for eight years. 
I'm learning how to ask questions differently. I'm learning how to communicate with her in a way that actually makes her feel like she's being seen, known, loved, and celebrated. I'm learning to love her in a way that is not, hey, let, when you bring problems to me let, let me, like, like, let me fix them for you. She's like, no, I just, I just wanna be heard and I wanna be understood. I don't need you to fix. I just need you to listen. Have you guys ever seen that YouTube video, It's Not About the Nail? Anything? Okay, a couple of you have, yeah. If not, then that makes no sense, but look it up when you leave here. It's, it's literally hilarious. It's so funny. This woman has like this nail sticking out of her forehead, like an actual like carpenter nail, and she's talking to her whatever, her boyfriend, husband, and she's like, I don't know, just something is just here all the time, and my sweaters are getting snagged. I have a splitting migraine headache, and the, and the husband is just like, well, I... I really think that if you just got that nail out of there and she's like, would you just stop trying to fix it? It's not about the nail. And so anyway, it's, it is actually really funny. So just go, <laughs> that wasn't a good job of, of, of describing that, but look it up when you leave here if you need a good laugh. Obedience is our responsibility. Out of the love that is lived into us by the person of Jesus, we learn how to receive from the Lord. Reciprocation is our obedience, but the results are entirely up to Jesus. We worship because it is our response to the romantic nature of Jesus that draws all men unto himself. Sadly, there are times we go into worship for the purpose of accomplishing something, whether it be to entertain a room, affect change in people's lives, or to employ gifted musicians out of the noble desire to keep a command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the approach of centering the Lord in the midst of the room and our hearts learning to behold him and learning to allow him to be the leader, it is within this approach that we employ his divinity. We no longer become concerned with results, but we become satisfied with the fact that we have been obedient to the call of the bridegroom to not forget first love. We have chosen this day whom we will serve. We are prone to earn, but what sets us free from the heart posture of being prone to earn is learning how to be held by him because it's in being held that we rest in a finished work from where we can relax into a new covenant where we are actually able to mount up with wings like eagles and our strength is renewed. And rather than going from burnout to burnout, we finally tap into what is life more abundantly, the very person and very presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you would stand to your feet with me as we close tonight. As we're in 1 Samuel chapter 3, in that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew and he, and he did nothing about it. His sons were living in like horribly immoral and demonic living and, and Eli chose to bring no correction. The presence of God comes with the responsibility of stewardship. It, it comes with the responsibility that he's a person that doesn't just blindly do things so that we can have a cool story. There's a holiness and there's a reverence that's attached to him that when he comes into the room, is he going to be cared for in a way that he deserves to just, to just be cared for? 
I, therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Samuel then goes into Eli the next morning. He tells him everything that the Lord revealed to him. And he tells him about this new thing that the Lord is getting ready to do. And I just, I, I, I want to challenge us tonight of the fact that I want to honor revivals that have happened in the past because there's something for us to learn from them and there's, there's an impartation to be received from, from them. Like, one, like there, there, there absolutely is. But I don't want us to only live in the past treating the Lord as, hey, this is his greatest hits that happened like 5,000 years ago, and now we're living in the memory of what once was. What did I read in Revelation at the beginning? He holds the beginning from the end. And literally, those revivals of, old, of, of, of the 1700s, the 1800s, 1900s, in heaven time, they might as well have just happened yesterday because, we, because the Father exists outside of time. So I believe that there's something available in the earth for us today to tap into, and I believe it looks like first love and responding to the Lord in a way that he deserves. It's beyond emotion. It's beyond any, any insecurity. It's beyond any ministerial, denominational competitiveness, and it's simply just first love. You can be a Baptist, you can be a Nazarene, you can be a Presbyterian, you can be a Pentecostal, you can be a Catholic, whatever it is. When the name of Jesus and, and the presence of Jesus comes into the room, you are drawn and thrown to his feet as if you were dead. And when you die at his feet, he breathes life into you and you are reborn all over again. This is what I believe that the Lord is offering and this is why we minister to the Lord to employ his suffering that it was worth something. And he did not die in vain. And it wasn't just so that we could celebrate it once a year around Christmas and Easter. Sorry, Christmas would be his birth. I mean, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, Passover. It was for every day for the rest of our lives because he deserves that. Amen? Amen. Spy your heads in prayer with me. Lord, I thank you that as we're learning this thing, as we're figuring out and practicing your presence, learning what it means to be married to you, learning what it means to be loved by you, and then learning what it means to reciprocate that love. Sometimes there's times of where I'm, I'm unbelievably aware of where I'm just like, my gosh, like not even in a cute way or a fun way to say it. It's like I legitimately have no idea what I'm doing. Like I, I legitimately have no idea what this season looks like. I don't even know how to communicate sometimes half of the things that I feel like are happening in my heart. Sometimes I feel like silence is honestly the best language and silence is the only answer. And if that's what it is, then, then, then so be it. Help us in that. But Lord, as we're here tonight, we're here because we have to believe that there's more. There's more than just Sunday morning attendance. There's more than just the hour, 15 minutes, two hours on the Sunday morning. There's, there, there's late nights tucked away with you. There's early mornings going away with you. There's middle of the afternoon coming away with you. There's a moment by moment living and breathing interaction with you. 
I, I, I have to believe that there's more, and I have to believe that it's not just for a Sunday morning or only for a Thursday night. I, it has to be that you poured yourself out so that we would know you abundantly. And if it doesn't look like abundance, I don't want it. We don't want it. We need your help, Holy Spirit, and we confess how badly we need you, and we confess how badly we need to be touched by you, breathed upon by you. We need your, your word, not just the written, but the living. And we need it in our midst. Father, everyone that's here tonight, however they got here, I pray that as they leave, not in a way that's disturbing or discomforting or hopeless for them, but there would be a disturbance in their hearts of, I know that there's more. I can't deny it. There, there, there's more. There's more to be living for. And, and they would know it just in, in their guts. They would, just, they would know it. It wouldn't just be a casual fleeting feeling. It would be, no, there's more. I have to know him. I have to get away with him. There has to be, like he died on the cross for a reason. He rose from the dead for a reason. He invites me to him for a reason. People gave their lives for a reason. So Lord, I ask that you would help us in that as we leave here. Please, dear Jesus, have mercy on us and help us in this pursuit of knowing you and falling in love with you. Please, we love you. Help us to learn to love you better. Help us to receive all the power. Help us to receive, give us the power to receive all of the love that you have for us. Help us in that Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you came here tonight with a need for prayer, whether it's you, you want prayer for something, you, have, you need uh, um, physical healing, if you would like, hey, I just would like encouragement from someone, come up here to the altar. Someone will come up to you and, and pray for you, lay hands on you. You don't have to go looking for them. Someone will come up to you. Love you guys, and we'll see you guys next Thursday. So um, Chandler has a testimony she wants to share as well. Okay. Um, so this is for you guys who are in the business world. I know like a lot of people have stories from the mission field and all of this. And one time I went out to visit one of my mentors in Colorado and I'm starting up this biotech startup company with my boss. And um, his piece of advice to me was get to know everybody in the company and love on them as much as you can because that is your mission field. And so I kind of got back from that trip and I had this meeting. So I've been getting to know this Indian man for like a year. He's one of the leaders in our company. And uh, it was funny because when I got back from the trip, he said to me, you, you have a light. You have a light that's different than other people. And I said to him, that's Jesus. I mean, you know, in, in Indian culture, the, it's like the light in me recognizes the light in you. And there's another saying in Christian culture in India that's the Christ in me recognizes the Christ in you. And I said, that's Jesus Christ. And you're knowing him because you see it in me. And then like a, a couple of weeks went by and it was funny because we were sitting there about to leave work. Everybody else had gone. And he said, Chandler, I have a question for you. I've lived in the States for 10 years and I don't understand something. Why are there like so many different denominations of Christianity? Like it doesn't make sense to me that there's so many. Everywhere I drive by, there's a different church and a different type. What, what are they all arguing about or what are the differences and why? And it was really neat because my background and growing up in church, like I went, went to a lot of different churches and ultimately I just decided like, you're all talking about Jesus and you're all talking about how much he loves you. So can we just all agree on that? <laughs> and, um, and then I got to explain to him the differences and what people kind of talk about. And I shared the whole gospel with him and I got to share with him like 
what commission is, or um, communion is. He'd never even heard the term, didn't even know that we believed in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And it was just a really cool, moving moment that, you know, it kind of has given him, you know, opportunities in the last month to ask even more questions. But I just wanted to encourage you guys that are in the business world. Sometimes it takes so long and so many years in the business world to feel like you're ever having an opportunity to pray for people that you work with. Um, so I just wanted this testimony to be a testimony to you. Like, what is it? Testimony means he'll do it again. So I pray that he'll do it again in your lives, in, in the workforce, and just pray for opportunities to speak to coworkers because God does let us speak when it's time. Will you pray that? Can you just pray over it? Yeah. Okay, God, we just pray that you would open up um, so many doors in, in the workplace right now this week, God, and, and people who feel like they're um, so closed off, their coworkers would never listen. I just pray that there would be like a moment of just like complete opportunity and songs would be sung across workplaces um, and just hearts would be humbled to you, God, um, and there would be opportunity to share the gospel in our work environments. Amen.